Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30 and of course it's Sunday morning and time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, we have to say a very good morning to Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants. Hi, Stephen. Good morning, Pam, and good morning, everybody out there. Um, it's going to be an interesting day. <laughs> Who is. knows what the weather's going to do to us today? I mean, for weeks I've been praying for rain, and I don't want it today. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're all being very, very fussy about things, but nonetheless, I've got an event in the garden today, so I'd rather like to have a fine day today, if possible. It would be uh, good. Yeah, it would be good with all the effort that goes into a- events. When I tell you what, if the rain ho- holds off till this evening, it will be wonderful because oh, okay. we need the rain. Oh, desperately. we desperately need it. I mean, yeah. everything is so dry, and I've started watering things around the garden that I haven't been near all season. You know, things that have been in the ground for a while, mm. and suddenly they're starting to look a bit. Miserable, and you yes. think, oh, so I better get some water into those. So, yes, I'm doing a fair bit of that sort of watering at the moment, just getting around trying to keep things ticking over until the rains come in. Mm. Mm. Oh, well, mm. <laughs> that's life. Well, we've had a fairly relaxed summer, really. I can't complain too much. Um, the weirdest thing about the summer, I didn't think I was even going to get a tomato, and now. I have got tomatoes <laughs> everywhere. Uh, they are ripening it's sort of day. Yeah, like yeah, and yeah. day after day I'm picking more and more tomatoes, and yep. it's just amazing. I think it's probably actually the best year for tomatoes I've ever had, except it started really late. Right. So who can figure? Yes. Oh, well. Such is life. Exactly. Anyhow, we've got plenty of tomatoes. I'll be making up lots of something or another. So there we go. Pesata. Yeah, probably, yes. <laughs> <laughs> something I can throw in the freezer and pull out at any, t- exactly. any stage I need it. Yes, yes exactly. Um, and I'm not a big sort of condiment pickle sort of person, so uh, I can't see any point in making a whole well, if they're ripening, you don't need green tomato pickles. No, well, so you don't. You don't. So, <laughs> yeah, so I'll... I'll cook it and freeze it in one form or another and, and we'll have all this largesse for the winter. Wonderful. Mm. Okay. We have to say a very good morning to Chloe Foster. Morning, Chloe. Good morning, Pam, and hello, everyone listening. My tomatoes went nuts too this year, <laughs> but they were really late ripening yeah. and I thought they weren't going to, yeah. and I didn't stake them up either. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't be bothered in the end. I just didn't get around to it. And you know what? I actually think it turned out better because... The plants weren't fighting gravity to mm. send water and nutrients upwards. They just went across, and I got these huge, huge fruits. I had um, the Rouge de Marman yeah. version, which is a common, you know, trusted form, and a Diggers version, which I can't remember the name. And my mum had the same Diggers one, and hers mm. are tiny, tiny little, like, Tommy Toe size, You're but right. mine were twice the size, and I think it's because I didn't stake them. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, well, a Either little bit of neglect. And, and yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I do yeah. have a very well-fed um, soil layer underneath. Well, so I think that I might know. be half of that, it. That yeah, help, yeah that, has a, that has an impact. It yeah. definitely has an impact. But I'm going to have to make another batch of tomato passata. Mm. I made a huge batch and had about you know, five jars out of it yeah. and froze it, d- mm. just freeze it straight away. Yeah. And then, and now I've got another two bowls of tomatoes in the fridge, so I'm just going to make another smaller batch of passata, mm. I think. Yeah, look, I think those things are the best things to do because if you leave them sitting in the bowl, even for a few days too long, suddenly everything goes mushy and mm, disgusting. Yes, so mm, you, you need right. to use it up whilst it's fresh. You and, want a bit of mush. Yeah. You know, it lets all the sugars release, yeah. but not too much mush. <laughs> 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 
Okay, well, we're going to jump straight into it this morning. Um, There are a few um, events on today, so um, we might get straight into that. First up, the Herb and Chilli Festival is on today. It started yesterday. Now, uh, there'll be 30 varieties of chilli plants. There'll be special guest festival chef. There'll be a cooking stage, a music stage, um, a speaker's marquee. The Hellfire Challenge, which I think anyone <laughs> yeah, who does it is crazy. Yeah, yeah. It'll be blokes. <laughs> yeah, it'll be, yeah, bet on it, it'll be definitely. blokes. <laughs> um, there's an Australian chilli cook-off. There's oh. a kids area with free activities, not including chilies, I would hope. <laughs> and um, there's food from 15 nationalities and the hot sauce alley. So all of that is happening today. All the food. Yes, yes. imagine it. Now, uh, the address is 125 Quail Road in Wandon. That's spelled Q-U-A-Y-L-E, Quail Road in Wandon. It's just off the Warburton Highway. You can purchase tickets at the gate today. And it's on from 10 o'clock this morning, running through until 5 o'clock this afternoon. Now, also on today is the second day of the Cloud Hill uh, Festival of Flowers. Now, there'll be garden tours at 10.30, 12.30 and 2.30. There'll be free mini workshops uh, on planning your flower garden, spring flowering plants, summer flowering plants, autumn flowering plants, bulbs for cut gardens, uh, perennial combinations, this goes with that. There'll be children's gardening activities and face painting and you can meet uh, Ronnie the peony grower. Uh, So all of that of course is taking place up at Cloud Hill. The address of Cloud Hill is 89 Alinda Monbolk Road in Alinda. Uh, and again, uh, that's all taking place today. Uh, now, also uh, coming up, uh, I do have one, Chloe. <laughs> Good. Fr- Cranbourne Friends of the Royal Botanic Gardens have got their autumn plant sale. And this is taking place this weekend, of course. Of course. And today is the second day of that. <laughs> So it's taking place 10 a.m. through till 4. Um, it's, uh, of course, at the Royal Botanic Gardens, Victoria Cranbourne, which is on the corner of Bellato Road and Botanic Drive in Cranbourne. There'll be a wide range of Australian plants in tubes and uh, larger pots, um, priced from $3 upwards. It's a great opportunity to purchase plants and then have a good look around the Australian garden. Uh, Ringwood Community Garden has got an open day today and again it is on today, today only, it wasn't open yesterday so it's just a one day open day today. Gold coin entry for that one and uh, the address is uh, Selkirk Avenue in Wanturna. Melway's reference there is 63G4. Uh, they're going to have a lot of produce for sale as well as chutneys and jams. Uh, that's running from 10 o'clock through till 4 o'clock as well. And, of course, finally, we do have to mention uh, Mifkus. Yes, of course. Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show. It starts on Wednesday. Mm, and yes, everybody get ready and... and pinch that housekeeping money to go and buy some nice plants. (laughs) (laughs) And this year, for the first time, they are creating a welcome garden, Mm -hmm. which will be interesting. Um, uh, Now, this has been designed uh, by Philip Withers, who won Best in Show last year out at uh, Mifkus, and it's going to be a full spectrum of green hues, the biodiverse habitat, um, a place for visitors relax and recline, 
plan their day at the show and participate in the various talks from designers and growers that will take place in the garden, as well as tours that will take place regularly throughout the day, with that being the starting point. So it's basically a focal point um, Mm. within the garden. Yes, I think it's a great idea. And, of course, all the usual suspects will be out there. There'll be the... um, the uh, show garden designers, there'll be the um, achievable gardens, there'll be all the student garden mm. designs. I love the student gardens. Oh, they yep. are great, aren't they? Of course, inside um, there'll be all the floral design workshops and uh, lots and lots and lots to see as usual. Uh, so you do need to plan your day. You do mm. need to have a sensible pair of walking shoes on. Yes. Don't yes. go strutting around in high no. heels and expect yeah, and to And that last includes you day. girls. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yes, it's all happening, and I think I think uh, many of us will be out there during the week. So um, pop along, say hello to any of us. I know um, Penny, who we're going to be speaking to at eight uh, thirty from um, deepest northern Tasmania, will be out there on the organic uh, oh, yes, gardener on the organic magazine stand. Yeah. stand. Um, but uh, there'll be many, many of us who'll be out there in one guise or another. Oh, so yes. Um, yes. So uh, Melbourne is really, you know, springing mm. to life again. Yes. Oh, I haven't got any paperwork for it. But if anybody happens to be up at Mount Macedon today, as they should be, because um, the autumn colour is starting to come in, uh, the Mount Macedon Horticultural Society has got its second day of its little competitive show today. Okay. And they're such fun. I mean, you know, you go into the hall and you'll see who's won the prize for the best carrots and who's got the best day oh, and, and it's such fun I mean it's yeah. just you know uh, in fact I was talking to one of the exhibitors yesterday who'd gone down to the hall to put in her stuff and she said it's just like being in Midsummer Murders she says <laughs> <laughs> she was waiting to find somebody out in the garden with you know dead underneath a cucumber or something you know so um, you've got the setting for it the Macedon Garden yeah yeah it should all work colours, yeah, yeah yeah it should all work but uh, yeah so if you happen to be up there it's at the Mount Macedon Golf Club Club, um, in the hall there, uh, gold co- coin donation to go in. Um, there'll be kids exhibits, you know, so kids making things out of things that grow and floral sources and you know all that sort of stuff. Oh, and right. and I mean, it takes me back to my childhood because I remember entering in the Mount Macedon Horticultural Autumn shows when I was a ten-year-old. Um, in fact, it's probably what started me on my road to fame and fortune with the Horticultural <laughs> Society. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so if you happen to be up that way, call in and, and see the show, have a little look around. Um, our show manager would love to see more people coming in and having a look at the things that people have managed to grow and, and create. And, uh, yes, I, I noticed yesterday he was Facebooking pictures of the judges doing the judging around the, all right. the hall and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's fun. And there's not many of those competitive shows left. I mean, Kyneton runs one, and theirs was, I think, a week or so ago. Yes. Um, but, you know, there's not terribly many of them about anymore. And uh, I think they're great fun. And the people who get involved and enter, they get so carried away with the whole thing. I mean, all they can do is win a little prize card or perhaps a sash oh, for best oh. in show of some but sort. If you get or a sash, you can wear that for the next year. Yeah, well, you could. Yeah, yeah, you could. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, you know. Wear it while you're gardening and yeah. growing the biggest pumpkin. Yeah. Yeah, 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 wouldn't you like to be good. best exhibiting show? Absolutely. <laughs> Biggest pumpkin. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so they all take it 
sort of in a funny way seriously and they're all competing madly against oh, yes. each other and, uh, and, and it, yeah, look, it's great fun. That's good it? for community spirit. It right? is. Look, yeah. It gets everybody together, well, except when they're, you know, sort of gladiolite faces <laughs> or something. Yes, right. Uh, <laughs> I can remember as a kid our flower shows back then were terribly serious. You know, you, judges would have their dahlia rings to put over the flowers to make sure that they were just the right really? size. And, you know, you can still buy dahlia rings, I think. Uh, and, you know, and everything was taken terribly seriously and people were put not to schedule if things weren't quite right with their exhibit and, and then they'd get all annoyed because, you know, they thought it was the best one. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's taken quite as seriously now, but there is a lot of fun um, uh, competition going on between different local um, identities in the, on the mountain. I'm sure. You know, people trying to hold on to their prize that they won last year by getting it again and, you know, Aww. all that sort of stuff. It's great. <laughs> So, yeah, so if you happen to be up at Macedon today, do go to the golf club and have a look around. I think it's open from about 10 till 4.30 or something like that today. Um, And as I said, it's a gold coin donation as you go in. Um, That'll help cover the cost of some of the sashes. Uh, (laughs) And, um, yeah, and and why not? I think it's great fun. Parking on site? Yeah, yeah, there's plenty of parking in the golf club car park there, so you can just pull in and park there and go in and have a look around. Mm. So Terrific. It, so it could be fun. You could even come and see me. Well, no, actually you can't because I'm going to be in my garden today because I've got my opera event on today, which I believe is booked out, so you can't come unless you've already booked. Um, so I'm going to have six lovely young opera singers um, belting out uh, arias this afternoon. Which is exactly why you don't want it to rain until this evening. Exactly, yes. yes I have my reasons. Of course. <laughs> well, it can just bypass the Macedon. Well, it could do that. As Melbourne. It could do that. It, it could, it and it has before. Yes. It, it could happen. I don't mind if everybody Stain, else gets damp. That little rain shadow where yeah. you are and everyone yeah. else can have it. Yeah, so yeah, so anyhow, so hopefully things will go along well. So when I leave the studio here, I go rushing home, set out tables and chairs and get things organised and do some floral arrangements and start making asparagus rolls and <laughs> bits of bocconcini and, and cherry tomatoes on sticks and, yeah, that the whole... That sounds terrible. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It'll be fun and there'll be lots of alcohol going later this afternoon as well, so I'll be in my element, really. Ah, uh, dear. So, yeah, so that's what's happening at my place. Good fun. Yes. Okay, well, it's high time we opened up our lines for Talk Back. If you'd like to join us this morning, we have uh, Stephen Ryan and Chloe Foster in the studio, so we can talk um, basically anything yeah, as we well, usually preferably do. Preferably horticultural. <laughs> yes, yes, that would help. Yes, <laughs> no area of expertise, but you know, if you want to have a chat. <laughs> yes, yes, right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay, that number is nine four one nine zero one double five. That's nine four one nine zero one double five. Stephen, let's head straight into a plant. All right. Well, I'm going to start off by frightening the dickens out of everybody. Yeah. Uh, the Oxalophobes. Um, Don't say the word straight up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, We'll probably uh, have issues with this yet again. Um, everybody sort of knows that I have a soft spot for the ornamental oxalises. I think, you know, they get such bad press, that genus. So, you know. They do. Uh, and there's some absolutely gorgeous ones. And I bought one in this morning, which fell over in the car, so it's actually leaning over slightly, which it shouldn't be. It should be standing stiffly up, uh, called Oxalis bowiei. And it's one of the biggest growing of the bulbous oxalis that I grow um, and it has huge hot pink flowers on it mm. on a stem that well in the old measurements it'd have to be about eight inches tall yes. it's quite tall and the flowers are almost an inch across so it's quite showy it has big bright green clover shaped leaves so it gives away its um, uh, its origins quite easily because <laughs> it looks like an oxalis um, it has um, 
it makes a nice clump. It doesn't tend to run, so it makes a, a big solid clump. Uh, I mean, it can spread, particularly if you are digging around and you forget where you've got it and you sort of turn the ground over and it, spread the bulbs. I assume it's bulbous. Like oh, yes, it's a yeah. true bulbous yeah. one. Um, the other interesting thing with this oxalis, and it goes for quite a few of the really bigger growing bulbous oxalis, when they're in active growth, they actually produce not only a bulb, but they have a long white carrot-like root underneath them. And with bowie eye, it can be quite big. And okay. it's delicious. Oh, really? Yeah. How, how, how do you make it delicious? You just what do you do? dig it out of the ground. So eat it fresh. And you want to fry it up or anything? No, no, ah. no. It has no oxalic acid in it, so it's not bitter. Right. Um, and it's crunchy like um, a carrot. Um, and it's got a very mild flavour, but they're really nice. Right. So if you really hate oxalis, really, really, <laughs> really your hate way through. Yes, yeah, you can eat your way just through eat it. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and actually, it's interesting because people talk about the oxalic acid in oxalis, and it, and it is you know in quantity poisonous. Um, but in fact, you can use oxalis leaves and flowers and things for garnishes and things on on salads and what have you. Uh, and that little bite of of something sort of with a strong acidic flavour, is actually quite nice. Mm. So within moderation, there's no reason why you can't. And I do know a few upmarket chefs that are using some of the interesting oxaluses to pretty up their dishes. All right. So there you go. There you go. So oxalis yeah. bowie eye, um, if you like really hot pink, <laughs> yeah. this is the plant for you. Uh, and against the bright green foliage, I think it's really quite a handsome You've thing. You've got it in the garden or a pot? Uh, or? I've got it in the garden and I'm not particularly frightened by it. It just seems to be sitting quite... Tidily, um, it is moving around in my garden a bit because where I planted it is somewhere I do tend to do a little bit of digging and cultivating and stuff. So I am actually accidentally moving it around a bit right. every time I dig. Um, but it grows for one period of the year. It disappears, so there's nothing to see during the the later winter months. Um, it can't really swamp anything, um, and it makes a wonderful splash of colour. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I think people who are frightened of oxaluses should get some. Um, uh, aversion therapy and buy one. <laughs> um, I'm a little bit frightened by them. Yeah, yeah. Look, yeah. And look, I think most people are, but you know, I've spent a lot of time collecting interesting species. I've killed quite a number of the difficult ones. There's some that come from the high Andes in South America that are so hard to keep. You know, they're true alpine plants, oh, and they right. and I've managed to lose them on several occasions. Um, and there's certainly plenty that are quite stay at home. In fact, they won't spread as much as your average grape hyacinth. Which can be almost. Oh, great, ma, yes. Yes, yes. yeah. And yet people don't think about them and go, oh, weedy grape hyacinths. You know, so, and certainly bluebells, goodness gracious me, I mean, those damn things uh, can take off across the garden. Mm. You can end up with a Howard Ends bluebell wood in no time flat. (laughs) Oh, I mean, jonquils even, they go, they're prolific. Yeah, Yeah. and yeah, nobody thinks of them and weed in the same breath. But just because there are weedy oxaluses, people tend to throw that sort of net over the whole thing. Do you hate when the oxaluses turn up in your lawn, though? Yeah, because it's not what you can do about no, that. No, it drives me nuts. Yeah. 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 yeah well, then your lawn just it. becomes a habitat. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, that's completely true. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes, you know, well, we get regularly people who ring in here and say, how do I get rid of the oxalis? And, and my stock answer is always put a for sale sign up out the front. Yeah, because the weedy ones are really hard to get rid of. I'm the first to admit that. And mm. I wouldn't intentionally plant any of the, the true weedy species. I mean, you'd have to be a bit nuts to let them loose in your garden. Yeah. Having said that, even though, aren't they pretty when they're in flower? Uh, 
If you can take the blinkers off and just look at them as a flower. I've got, per- I've got permanent oxalis blinkers on, though. Uh, have you? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, well, but, uh, you know, yeah, I, even when I'm nice. driving along. I liked along. them when I was little, and then I learned that they were really bad weed. And then you see them in a garden that has gone, no one's looked after. Yeah. It's gone ballistic, and it's just oxalis mm. through the whole thing, yeah. like really thick chunks of pine bark, because yeah. that's all the renters have done. Yes, that's true. Yeah, yes. That's not very nice. No, probably but, not, but the flowers themselves, that acid like, yellow. If you like them and you, and you might want to grow them, I think a pot is probably a good way to start. That's the other thing, too. A lot of the oxalis, <laughs> if you're too nervous to put them into the ground, they make fabulous pot plants. Yeah. Because if you put daffodils in a pot, they look pretty for a week or maybe 10 days. Mm. And then you've got all this dying down foliage of yeah. yeah. Whereas with an oxalis in a pot, you've got two to three months of flowers, maybe longer with some species, <laughs> and you've got attractive foliage that hangs around before and after flowering, uh, which can still make a, a telling thing in the garden. Mm. Uh, and there's a huge diversity of foliage shapes, foliage colours, flower sizes and shapes, flower colours. I think blue is one of the few colours you don't get in oxalis. Yeah. Um, so you can get you know, oranges and you yellows. You the candy and, stripe ones Oh, too? yeah. That, well, that candy stripe one is completely and utterly benign. It just makes a little clump. Oh, right. And it's perfectly safe to put yeah, into the garden. Yeah, I've seen that in a lot of nurseries. Yeah, it's and it's common. really, really sweet, and it's it's a late flower, so it comes out in late winter, early spring, oh, uh, and it just makes a, a tuft about the size of a softball. Mm. And, and if you don't dig and spread the bulbs, that's exactly what it will stay like. It just won't grow any further. Mm. Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen the Barber's Pole Oxalis self-seed. Um, you know, somebody might ring in and say they have, but <laughs> I certainly haven't ever seen it sell seed in my garden or anybody else's garden that I know it's growing in. Yeah. Um, and most of the oxaluses don't sell seed terribly well because most of them, when you get them, you've got a single clone. Um, if you have multiple clones, then they become more fertile. And uh, and therefore they will seed. Uh, the only thing that they might do is if you've got several species, you might get a hybrid. Yeah, okay. mm. that's uh, special. Yeah, well, I've got one in the in my oxalarium okay. <coughs> in my garden at home uh, yeah. that came up, and it's a, I think a cross between oxalis pentaphyllum and oxalis flavor, and it's a really cute little mauve thing that its flowers sit like a little posy on the ground with a, a ring of leaves that sit round them uh, and it only grows a couple of centimetres tall and, and it's a very attractive shade of rich mauve um, and it's cute as and it's a little hybrid one that show, showed up in my garden. Okay. So I have my own oxalis. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, right. Oh, we've got a caller. We do have. We'll go to our first caller right now. We have Lynn who's in Cranbourne. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning. Um, I've got a question about kangaroo paw. Right. And um, I bought some kangaroo paws at the kangaroo paw festival at the Cranbourne Gardens 18 months ago. Fabulous. Well and done. <laughs> thank you. And they're doing really well, yep. but I can't remember when I'm supposed to prune them down. Right now. Um, you must have been thinking right about it because now's the time. Autumn is the time to do it. Uh, you right. could wait another few weeks, but if you wanted to... Yeah. Um, so if you prune it this time of year, yeah. I would. There's two different ways you can prune them. You can prune them right back down to the ground, because oh, that gets rid of all the black spot rust mm. and, and ink spot that they get from the wet winters that we have. Yeah. And then they come up again in springtime, you mm. know, and, and there's you know and there's look no fresh, and hopefully. they look fresh yeah. and there's no black spot on mm. them. Or you could um, do more of a selective prune and just prune um, all of deadhead them and yeah. and. and Pull out all of the all of the spent um, foliage on them as well. If you didn't, if you uh, weren't confident about 
pruning them right to the ground. But you can prune them right to the ground. Just go for your yeah. life. It's really cathartic. <laughs> well, well, that that suits me because I'm yeah. a basket maker and I love the kangaroo port for basket making. So, Fabulous. Yeah, Lynn, um, just go for it. Is that yeah, Lynn I will. Yes, it is. Hi, Lynn. <laughs> um, yeah, Hi. yeah, just go, yeah, just go for it, Lynn. Go to town yeah. on them. And oh, if you don't good. get around to it within the next couple of weeks, you know, end of autumn's fine as well. Yeah. Um, even if you do do it later, it's probably a little bit better because then they really definitely will miss that, you know, uh, the cold, wet yeah. winter. Yeah. yeah. No, I'll, I'll do it soon because I actually got um, some of the landscape series kangaroo paws. Yep. And I was told they were more resistant to the um, black spot. Yeah. And I haven't got any disease at all on them. I'm so proud. Oh, that's, that's great to hear. I haven't had no, a black spot well. on my landscape ones either. Mm. Mm, Angus will yeah. be glad to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> no, so I've got a couple of Anguses in the garden at home that he gave mm. me to try out. And Macedon isn't a good place to try and grow No, kangaroo. it's not. Yeah. It really mm-hmm. isn't. And I think it's, was it Landscape Lavender, I think? Yes. Or landscape? Oh, yeah. Lilac? Lilac, Lilac perhaps? Lilac, yeah, yes. it was a mauvish one anyway. Lilac is the one that gets it, that gets yeah. a bit of black spot. Well, I, go? It's, it seems fine. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it does seem to be fine. Um, now, Violet, I don't know whether Violet that... <coughs> is the better of the two purple ones. Yeah, yeah well, mine was definitely... Ooh, it was lavender or lilac or yeah, lulu, lilac. Lulu or something. Um, and it was charming. And I had it just growing in a perennial border um, that sort of... No, I will say I've planned this. <laughs> now that I've given away, I probably didn't. Um, but I had these... Um, soft mauvey pink um, dwarf chrysanthemums in the bed and there was other things in sort of pinky mauvey shades yep. and it all tied in superbly and it was a really pretty combination. You can mm. mix natives with exotics. Of course you can. People sort people of... People are like... Mm, yeah, I actually don't quite understand how that happened here. I think it, it might be that, you know, we ended up in, in these two diametrically opposed camps where, you know... Parallel mm. universe. Yeah, and, and mm. you know, you go to most other countries and they'll mix their natives with exotics without actually thinking about mm. it terribly closely. Mm. Um, um, I think the only other place I know of where it's a bit like it is here is possibly South Africa, where native, there's the native people and then there's the, the exotic people who like to grow their roses and other sundry yeah. things. Um, but yeah, Australia is one of the few places where we, we think our natives won't mix with other plants mm. from other parts of the world, and it's yeah. sort of odd. I mean, go to the rhododendron gardens and there's all these rhododendrons and comedians yeah. growing under acacia melanoxylon and, and, and eucalyptus regnans. Yeah. yeah, and, <laughs> and it looks fantastic. Yeah. Is it because um, people have the idea that um, exotics and natives need different soil conditions? Oh, look, I think that's and part of it. I think, yeah, it. I think we get this sense that, you know, our plants and those from overseas need completely different growing conditions. And, mm. and it's a bit of a nonsense, really, in some ways. I mean, there are some of our plants you've got to be careful with phosphate fertilisers and things, obviously. But yeah. really, in general... Um, the, con- the conditions required by most native plants aren't that different from no. most exotics that we can grow no. here. It's the same with any plant. They all require different soil. Yeah. I mean, you know, a tree soil. fern's a native and, and it likes completely different conditions than your average Banksia or Grevillea. Yep. So, you know, so I think we have these sort of overriding ideas about our plants that sort of then exclude them from being grown in mixed gardens. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank sad. you very much, Chloe. No worries, and, Lynn. And um, I'll prune them in the next couple of yeah, weeks. Yeah, have fun. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Bye. I'm impressed that the, the, the prunings have also a use. Lynn is the um, coordinator of the Cram and Friends basketry ah, group yes. and mm. she makes the most incredible baskets. She ma- she's got the most beautiful hats as well mm. that she's made, straw hats. They're just so lovely. And she uses any sort of material that is readily available. Yeah. So the kangaroo paws, um, hardened bergia, yeah. um, 
uh, what's the word? Uh, Lamandra. Oh, yes. The other one that's a really common one. Oh, yeah, I would imagine <clears throat> Lamandra would actually be quite yeah. good for that sort Especially of thing. Especially the really tall, yeah. oh, I can't remember the species name, um, the really taller mm. growing ones. She just makes them and leads the group really, really well too. Oh, so, good. yeah, she's wonderful. Yeah. Chloe, while we're talking kangaroo paws, do you want to talk about the place of, of fire with kangaroo paws? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Um, there's, there's sort of some people actually do try and you burn can off their burn them. Paws. I haven't tried it before, <clears throat> but I would really love to. Um, what you'll Angus, have to see if they arrive anyway. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> I better, better warn them. No, no, no. What <laughs> Angus Stewart has said you can do with them is get some newspaper and dampen it, um, and put them, put that newspaper around the base of the plant and and set it alight. So right. I think the paper sort of helps it. Smolder yes. a little bit, and, and it's more the for the smoke, burn, isn't it? It's the, it's the smoke. So yes. there's however many hundred, nine hundred, or a thousand different compounds, chemical compounds in smoke, and it's one particular compound um, in in smoke that is the trigger for germination for a lot of Australian species. Mm. So it's it's not um, it's not the heat, it's not. Yeah, and it's not the actual fire. Mm. It's this. It's one chemical compound yeah. that, that. Well, you know you can get liquid WA. smoke. You can. Yes, you the can. compound they had it. It's like, it's like cond- they condensation. They yeah. make it. Yeah, I, I really, bought some from South Africa years ago because yeah. they had the same thing with their native plants. Yeah, and they, very They were experimenting yep. um, with using smoke for germinating, and uh, they actually created a liquid smoke, which I think is something that we did here as well at we, one stage. We, and you can buy yeah. it. Can uh, buy the way it. that the way that we do it here is is by buying. Um, I think you buy a sort of powder and you put it into a liquid, oh, yeah. and then you soak your seeds yeah. in that. Yeah. Mm. So it's you can buy the smoke smoke water from a lot of nurseries there's a lot of the indigenous nurseries local indigenous nurseries have them have those that smoke compound as well so Mm. but yeah it's a very important and it's the a lot of the seeds yeah it's the trigger for germination for a lot of the seeds so if you want to if you want to try if you're brave if you're brave (laughs) enough yes it's much safer than in fact setting fire to a seed tray Yes, definitely. Yes, you have little control over that. Very little control. Just a reminder uh, to listeners that if you if you're still looking for somewhere to go today, um, Open Gardens Victoria have got Kate Hurd's garden open today, ten o'clock through to four thirty. It's at One View Street in Alfington. Uh, entry is eight dollars. There's five dollars concession. Children under 18 are free. Did you come with us to Kate Hurd's garden? No, I didn't. Stevie I missed, missed out. That, yeah, I, missed I went a few years ago. It's, it's a fantastic very garden. Special. It's, yeah. it's right on the banks of the Yarra on a very steep yeah. slope, which yep. is Kate has terraced. Mm. And then she's done some wonderful work down on, on the river flats as yeah. well. Mm. And uh, there's a big um, veggie garden down there as well. There's a big amphitheatre. Um, oh, every garden needs one of those. Oh, of course they do. <laughs> totally. Yes. Yeah, amphitheatre is beautiful. They've got these little um, eucalyptus that she just coppices back, and mm. they've just got the most beautiful little juvenile foliage. Moon Lagoon, I think it is. Mm. It's really cute. But, yeah, it's a beautiful garden. Lovely garden. And a challenging site. So, you know, it gives you a little bit of inspiration, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so that's something else people can do today. Oh, yes, there's oodles to do, really. Okay, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15, so plenty of time for you to jump on board the phones and ask a gardening question this morning. We'd love to hear from you. That number is 94190155. That's 94190155.
double five. Stephen, another plant, please. This is something that's only come my way comparatively recently. Um, If you say Buhinia to somebody, and they know what you're talking about, because they don't often, um, you think of a tropical small tree, and they call them butterfly trees or butterfly flowers or butterfly something or another, and they're in shades of whites and pinks generally, Mm. and flowers are like lovely butterfly-type things with veins in them, and they are exquisite. But you can only grow them in the warmer climates. I think we'd be pushing it even to grow the tree bohinias in Melbourne, although some may have them in sheltered sites somewhere. But certainly Sydney and further north, you'll see bohinias being grown. And they have uh, a characteristic foliage form, the bohinias. The leaves are divided into two leaflets that sit next to each other, almost like butterfly wings. Exactly like so, butterfly wings. Um, and so I'd never taken much, well, I've always enjoyed them when I've been in other places. I mean, if I go to Madagascar, you see bohinias used as street trees in some of the bigger towns um, uh, and yeah, in tropical areas all around the world. But I'd never really paid much attention to the genus, thinking that it was a group of plants I can't grow. Mm. But anyhow, um, last year, um, some seedlings came my way from a friend of Bohinia unanensis which is a deciduous climber from Yunnan in China, and so is, in fact, cold hardy. Mm. Um, it has the classical leaves. It has little tendrils that it climbs by. So uh, it's got these little sort of... <gasps> yes. The cutest little tendrils, they actually, that sort cute. of sit underneath the, the, the stems. So it grips hold of anything that's not too big. So it'll grow up wire or it'd, it, okay. you know, it'll grow up twiggy plants or whatever. Um, and, and it will catch hold in little crevices and things. So it would probably run up a brick wall, actually, quite mm. well. Um, They're very fine tendrils, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Yes, They're tiny they little are. tendrils. Yeah. And it's a very light, airy climber. So mm. it's never going to become... Well, it can get quite big, but it's never going to become overbearing yeah. uh, and, and it's never going to become this big, heavy, weighty thing. Uh, I can imagine letting it grow up through a small tree and being perfectly safe to do so. Mm. Um, and it has pink flowers on it, uh, about sort of an inch across in the old measurements, the classical bohinia shape and colour um, uh, on this deciduous vine. Uh, it seems to be drought tolerant, um, certainly heat tolerant. Uh, it will go down to quite low temperatures, so it should, it'll survive, I'm sure, at Macedon. Um, and it flowers in the summer months. Um, and I just think, you know, we have the stock standard sort of climbing plants that everybody puts in. Uh, and then beyond that, you don't sort of come across some of these other things very mm. often. And it's always nice to have something that's just that little bit different. Does it colour up if it's deciduous? Uh, it just goes soft shades of yellowy sort of colours in the autumn before it sheds. So it's not okay. going to be it's not autumnal a... colour yes, particularly. Right. So it'll go sort of yellowy. Um, but it is such a pretty little leaf and and I can imagine it sort of growing gently Mm. over something. I mean, I wouldn't be using it to hide my nefarious um, behaviour from the neighbours because (laughs) I think it's too see-through for that. Um, But as a light, airy sort of plant, I mean, for instance sake, if you had a nice piece of, you know, sculptural metal or something on the wall and you wanted something to grow through it but you didn't want to cover it, Mm. something like this could be ideal because it would grow up through something like that and just soften Mm. the effect. And I think it's a charming plant. So, Buhinia yunnanensis, meaning it comes from Yunnan in China. You bet it, can you spell that? Because uh, it, it's a mouthful. Yeah, well, it is, and I'll <coughs> spell it out, and it's yep. better if I look at the label to yep. remind myself. It's B-A-U-H-I-N-I-A, Buhinia. Uh, so, Buhinia yunnanensis, uh, so Y-U-N-N-A-N-E-N-S-I-S. And ensis meaning... From, from and Yunnan, yeah. which is a province. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so Yunnanensis. So it's all very logical. It is. Uh, <laughs> and, and Mr. Buhin was uh, a well-known, I think, 
botanist or like French. He said it sounds French. I've got a sense he might have been Belgian or something oh, okay, like that. Okay. But I'd have to look him up again. I did look him up at one stage to find out a little bit about him because I always find it interesting when a genus is named after somebody. Mm. I quite like to find out why they were. I love finding out. Yeah. yeah, any sort of Latin name, you're like, oh, what does it mean? Because it helps with the identification yeah. of the plant. And, too. and even if it doesn't, I mean, if it is <clears throat> commemorative or something, it doesn't really help that much with the plant no. in a way. Um, but it's it's a whole new avenue of research harmlessly yeah. done in yeah. the evenings when you could be watching television or something. Um, yeah. It gives you some mental triggers as well, yeah. some more, and, you know, helps you build a memory or a story around yeah, the plant. It does, and it helps you remember know. the name. I always say yeah. when I'm doing talks at garden clubs and things and, uh, and you know, people are bemoaning Latin names. Oh, I know, and, I hate it. Yeah, and I just say to them, well, look, what you do is you try and put a personality around the plant. Yep. That way the name will stick. Yeah. So if you meet somebody for the first time and, and you're introduced and, you and you know, it's Frida and you go, oh, yes, Frida, you'll forget her name straight away. Of course you will. But if you know that Frida likes a gin and tonic in the evening and she drives a Lamborghini to church on Sundays... <laughs> um, As most Fridas do. Yeah, that's right. Then <laughs> you start to build a personality uh, yep. around it and her name will also then become stuck in your head that's right so if you can do that with plants and start building that sort of dossier of information about the plant even the trivia about the plant that doesn't help you grow it Mm. will help you remember it Uh, and so yes I'm going to go home again and look up Mr. Buhin and and find out a bit more about him because he must have been somebody fairly special if he got a whole genus of tropical plants named after yes so um, and that will help me with the name and it will help anybody else with the name really so there you go so Buhinia unanensis which I think is going to be a charming little vine. I've just got to find somewhere to put one in the garden at home because my garden's getting so shady now um, that a lot of these things, they run up looking for light and the flowers will be way up there somewhere. Uh, and I won't which see is them. a bit of a waste. Yeah, yeah, so I've got to find somewhere where I can grow it where uh, it will perform for me. So if mm. you put it in a small tree, you'd want an, an open small yeah, tree? I think so it, needs the yeah. sun, it needs a bit of sunlight. Yeah, I think, look, it will tolerate the shade a bit, but I think it will tend to then throw its flowers right up into the top of the support so yeah an open frame thing would be better Um, and uh, yeah I just think you know we should be looking outside the normal sort of Mm. things that we grow so how tall would it get up well the friend of mine that gave me the seedlings he had one growing in his garden which he was about to sell and move away and I assume he's now moved away he was going down Portland way Um, his was growing up the side of a sort of a a concretey rendered wall right. uh, and it had run up through I think it was an Elbizia or one of those small open frame oh. trees and, and it had got itself up probably five or six metres up into the tree okay. but it was just light and airy sort yeah. of wafting yeah. around yeah. There, there, there was no sense of it sort of being this yeah. Unstuffed mattress falling out of things, and you know, it, it was just this very light, airy plant, and I, I was really taken with it. Mm. There's the, the one of the native peas, a corazima, yeah. can be like that. You can keep it as a small shrub, but it's actually a really interesting if it's growing under something, it will grow up through it. Oh, ah, yeah, and it's quite fine and it doesn't take over the tree and then all of a sudden in spring you get these bright orange and pink flowers. Yeah, the Corosema's flower colours are, are really quite in your face, aren't they? They're they the most are. amazing combination. Yeah, uh, growing up you're like, oh, you know, um, blue and green should never be seen yeah. and um, pink and orange should never be seen. I don't know if there's a rhyme that a goes with that. unless you're into a psychedelic era of yeah, your life. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then lo and behold you see these flowers and they're pink and orange and you're like, what? But I love them. Yeah, they're, they're so really bright cute. and cheery. Oh, they are. Yeah, they yeah. are really cute plants. Yes. So there we go. So Bohinia unanensis. So that's something I've never bought in before because I've only recently found out about it. And that's what, in fact, 
keeps me intrigued in horticulture because mm. I know there is lots of stuff out there I don't know. Mm. Uh, and so I want to learn all that That's stuff. That's what keeps you going. It does. The more you know, the yeah. more you don't know. It drives you oh. nuts sometimes. Oh, it does, <laughs> yeah, because you know, people say, oh, but you're the expert. And I think, oh, for goodness sake, I know. in horticulture as a, a an encompassing thing, there's no such thing as an expert. No. I mean, you can have an expert dahlia grower or an expert yep. cabbage grower or whatever. Um, you can even have people that might verge on experts, say, with Australian native plants or something like that. But even that's far too big a topic There's to be so really... much to learn yeah. about everything. Yeah. So, yeah, so I don't see myself as an expert. I just see myself as having enough knowledge to be dangerous. <laughs> um, and um, so, you know, to find a new plant that I had no idea about mm-hmm. and start to grow it and appreciate what its characteristics are and, and where it likes to grow and what it will cope with and all those things, that's all part of the grist that mm. I enjoy in horticulture. Mm-hmm. It's the way it should be too. Mm. Chloe, you were you were telling me before the show started that mm. uh, you have a major problem down at uh, Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. Yeah, there were some really strong winds a couple of weeks Uh-oh. ago, mm. and it blew over our very special Noitzia floribunda. Oh no, the West Australian gone. Christmas tree. Oh, it's gone. Yeah, it's been on its last legs for a couple of years mm. um, because it's had found amelaria oh. amelaria fungus on it mm. um, and we thought it might hold on for a little bit longer but it, it physically did not hold on unfortunately we luckily took some cuttings yeah, in January because uh, it, it's parasitic it's isn't parasitic it? so, so yes. how do you manage a cuttings plant like that? do strike we've put it in there's we've done a, we've done a few different methods with it mm. um, and put some uh, uh, some there's a particular acacia that's a host for it, so we put some of that acacia seed in. All oh, right. Um, so that hopefully acacia seed germinates quite readily, so um, hopefully that will germinate quickly and then help the um, yeah, help, help the, the cuttings. noitzia cuttings um, put out some roots. And um, I think we might have put a couple of poa tubes in in the cutting tray as yeah, well. Yeah. I can't um, can't quite remember. Um, but yeah, so we took cuttings just before it literally dropped off the perch. It's really sad. It is. It's awful because that must have been about the only mature plant out of Western Australia. Surely. <laughs> yeah, it was. I think its claim to fame was the southernmost Noitzia floribunda. Yeah. In the world. In the world. <laughs> Don't you love that it sort of claim? It was a beautiful yeah. tree. I mean, the last five or so years have had the most beautiful floral displays. Yeah. Of them. Oh, it has. The Cranbourne friends have done an annual pilgrimage, and they did do a final pilgrimage. Uh. This January, so I did get to see it in its, yeah, quite fine. It was, yeah, it wasn't looking great. Um, so the whole team, the whole Cranbourne team was a little bit, a little bit oh, sad. That, yeah, well, you would be. It's like losing theory. a friend. It is like losing a friend. Yeah. It was, it's such a unique and, and weird and wonderful tree. Yeah. Uh, but it just tipped over. Whether the, what's left of the stump, I think they can reshoot. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you reshoot. whether that was possible. Yeah, so... We'll leave the stump there and, just um, see. and see what happens. Um, but we're doing testing on because the the trees on House and Hill, um, so we're doing testing on the, the other parts of House and Hill for Armillaria, and we have it is present in Goodness. spots around all the garden beds of House and Hill. So how do you so deal with something like that? They have been spraying phosphonic acid, mm-hmm. uh, which is a foliar spray, I believe, which must help the plant fight the fungus. Yeah. Or um, the plant, I'm guessing the plant would absorb the phosphonic acid and that would in turn kill the fungus. I guess, I, I don't think know. so. Yeah. We've got a lot of, they're, they're starting to do a lot more research now that we have found it in other garden beds, yeah. not just in the Noitzia. So 
Oh, it was a little bit sad. So hopefully we can, because um, Warren Warboys, our curator of horticulture, grew that himself 30, 30 odd years yeah. ago or something. I was going to say, it'd have to be quite an age, that tree. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It probably was the most advanced tree mm. in the in the gardens. There's a few eucalypts that, that were planted in the early 90s, I think, mm. on House and Hill as well. But the Noitia, yeah, was the, that was the last one of the the batch of trials that, that Warren did mm. um, trying to grow them. So hopefully the ones that we've taken cuttings of now we can get something out of. No. Yeah. Oh, well, best of luck with that. Oh, thank you. Yes, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it'll be yeah, really yeah. interesting to try and grow some again. Yeah. and because it is a spectacularly beautiful yeah, thing. Yeah, the seeds are available. I mean, it's a paddock tree in WA. Yeah. I was in um, near Mount Lasua National Park, mm. so just north of, north of Perth last year, and we stayed at um, High Valley Farm, which is... In, these people are amazing. They've set off a 1,000 acres of bushland in the 60s, and they've never touched. It's untouched Kwangan flora. and But their paddock trees are noitsias, yeah, absolutely. There's clumps now, of Now, because noisier. they're parasitic, what are they parasitising in the paddocks? Are they I, growing on the grasses? They must be growing on the grasses. Yeah, because they're semi-parasitic, aren't they? Yeah, so they yeah, need they to have yep, host plants. Yeah, they need plants. a host. Yeah. yeah. That must be growing on the grass. I think one of the host plants that Warren used for ours originally was a lepidosperma species, mm. which is a, a sedge grass. Yeah. So it must be... A grass yeah. in Because I know with other semi-parasitic WA. things, I mean, if you've got cherry ballarts in your garden mm. and you take trees down around them to make some room for them, they're inclined to die. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. rather counterproductive. Yes, that's um, true. And so I thought, well, if they're a paddy tree, they could only be living off the, the herbaceous stuff. They, mu- they must be because I've, I've got a photo I can show you later if you want, but the, it is a photo of a paddock. It looks like that you know you would see in a farm in in country Victoria, mm-hmm. but instead of gum trees, they're noitsias, and it's just them, and it's um, you know clumps of six or so trees. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because they're sort of like a tree mistletoe, aren't they? Really, in a way. Yes. Yeah. 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 Which is a weird thought, even it to is, consider, isn't it? really. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a it's a fascinating tree, yeah. and yeah. when they flower, they look. Because yeah. yeah, it's the most eye-aching shade, isn't it? That oh, sort of really yes. brilliant sort of egg yolky sort of colour. Yellowy orange, yeah, burnt yeah. egg yolk or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, it's a remarkable thing. They're yeah. a stunning. Oh, well, trade. I think that's terribly sad. I know. Anyhow, well, things move on, and, and you're doing some experimental work with it, which is interesting. We're doing some experiments. It, so, is Hopefully, it'd be really cool to see if that trunk um, reshoots. Yeah. It may not because it may just be too far gone. Yeah. Um, but we'll yeah. see what happens. Yeah. It's me. Yeah. Yes. There's there a hole. Go. There's a hole in yes. physically in House and Hill and in our hearts now. Yeah. Too. <laughs> oh, I, can, I can well imagine. Can uh. well, yes. Some of those sort of plants, they they have a personality of their own and they sort of mm. endear themselves to you. Yeah. Right. And it was a real focal point of the gardens as well. Mm. And when I was in Flower, it brought a lot of people in. It yeah. brought a lot of visitors in because it's it's so unique and it's mm. one of those plant things that people make a point of going to see. Like when the Titan Arums are flowering. Yeah, well that's yes. right, yes. You know, when they're in bloom, everybody wants to see one right. and smell one, maybe. Um, I don't really want to smell one. Uh, oh, maybe a little bit. Maybe no, a little it's, bit. it's a violent smell, but, I mean, you've got to sort of experience it. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't want a bouquet of them in the house. Definitely not. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's part of the charm of it, although it's really interesting because people get the Titan Arum in their head really confused and I actually saw something even on Twitter the other day where somebody was talking about it as the world's biggest flower and it isn't 
because it's a composite flower. It's a, it's a mass of little flowers uh. within the space structure of you know all those arum plants they're not yeah. individual flowers mm. the flowers are tiny little things that are on the spadics which is that big thing that's yes. stuff in the middle um so it's the world's biggest compound flower potentially yeah. uh, but it's not the world's biggest flower right uh Rafilzi is probably the world's biggest flower which is another parasitic thing that comes from borneo and sumatra and oh, things okay. and it lives on plants in the grapevine family and erupts out of the ground and this great big sort of thing that looks like a piece of chopped liver sits across the ground and stinks is that the rotten meat one yeah yeah, call it? yeah yeah is that the biggest flower yeah i think the i think right. one of the species of Rafelzi is the biggest flower because yep. it is actually in an entire the entire structure is a flower mm. it's not a compound flower mm. so yes there's a little confusion there actually speaking of twitter and things people might be interested to know that dick's only rare plants now has a facebook page oh. there you go yeah and i'm doing instagram as well goodness me there's no stopping you uh, <laughs> welcome to well, the 21st century yeah well actually it was funny i was i was uh, on radio up in bendigo the other day and i said something to fiona the compere up there about being on facebook and she said oh Stephen, welcome to 2006 <laughs> <laughs> Ah, dear. Yeah, so I've at last taken the jump. So Dixonia Rare Plants has a Facebook page, and I've been working really hard to get some stuff up there, some content on it. So there's quite a number of plants with images and descriptions and and things that I've put up on it. That's good, to get the information about those rare plants out there, because it's often hard to find that sort of information. Well, it's funny, I I, um, did a thing on a plant, Yesterday, while I was ha- I'm doing this while I'm having a cup of coffee in the morning or things like that, you know. Right. So I'm Facebooking things as I'm going. And I've propagated this tree that I got years ago from a friend of mine in the Otways, and God knows where he got it from. Uh, it's in the Salix family, so um, related to willows. Willow. But it's obviously not a Salix. It's a different genus altogether. And it's a thing called Itoa, I-T-O-A, Itoa orientalis. And it comes from China and, and Vietnam. And it has big leaves. The leaves are probably about a foot in the old measurements long. Um, they're rich green. It's a, um, an evergreen. And my tree so far has made this rather nice upright conical oh, tree. Lovely. And although it's evergreen, as leaves die, which it does throughout the year, they go bright red. And so you've got this really rich mm. green foliage and then these bright red big leaves on the thing. And I thought, oh, I'll, I'll put up an image of that on my Facebook page and talk about it. So I went in and did a little bit of Googling. There was only about two or three mentions of it and there wasn't an awful lot of information available yeah. uh, even you know on the wide web okay. thing uh, I couldn't find terribly much and I only know one book where there's a reference to it in, yeah. and that was um, John Grimwade's New Trees that was written in Britain as a sort of companion volume to the old beans, trees and shrubs um, and it was done I don't know about seven or eight years ago and he mentions Itoa in that uh, yeah. as, as being a specimen growing in a garden in Cornwall Oh, wow. One. Yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's something really obscure. And so I figure if I can get information like that up onto my website, it means that there's a little bit more information on some of these rare plants that's actually out there somewhere. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's the plan is to try and get as much information out there as possible. Um, And hopefully over a period of time, there'll be hundreds, if not thousands of things on the Dixonia Rare Plants. That's good. Facebook page. That's fabulous. All with images. 
And, you know, at the risk of sounding slightly immodest, I think some of my pictures are rather good. <laughs> <laughs> like most plant nerds, do you just take photos all the time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've got my... I've, my, my phone is always full and it's like flower, 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 yeah, flower. Yeah, yeah, I do exactly the same thing. I've got masses of pictures. And everywhere, yeah. every, every time I walk around the garden, oh, I haven't taken a picture of that yet. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I get excited and I take a picture. And, and then, of course, you want to share it. Yep. Of course you do. You know, and so, yeah, so I will be posting lots and lots of stuff on the Facebook page given time. Excellent. But I think there's even enough in there now for people People just perhaps come in and friend me and have a look. Okay. Yeah. I use my Instagram as my outlet for sharing pretty plant photos. Do you? Yeah, well, I'm, yeah, I'm doing that as well. Cause good. I, yeah, so I've got the Instagram page up and running. But I'm using that for more of my artistically beautiful po- pictures of right. plants and things. Right. some thought to this. Yeah, story. I am thinking this through. I'm being very careful about how I deal with this. So now that I've got Twitter, Facebook and Instagram Whoa. that I'm dealing with, um, I'm trying to put content in that is appropriate to the different medium that I'm working with. Yep. So that's what I'm playing with at the moment. So I don't know how good I'm going to be at it, but anyhow, um, it's sort of fun. I think it can be addictive, though. I've got this awful feeling I'm going to yes. regret this. Yes, you will. Yeah. I regret it. It certainly yeah. is going to be time-consuming. Yes. Yes, yes so I sort of figure. And people will actually want to send me messages and things, and then they'll expect me to answer them. And, yeah. You know, I'm not quite sure how this is all going to go. And the point is you've got, to, you've got to keep up posts. Yeah. You you can't you, you can't have it activity. set up and then and then yeah, have no entries for for six months yeah. because there's no point. People want new content yeah. coming in. The All whole right, time. well I promise to do it as well as I can. <laughs> if people want to come along and join me, okay. <laughs> Take it easy. Don't like go full pelt right yeah. at the start and get really excited because otherwise you'll get really tired and burn out. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah well that's always the possibility. Social media burnout. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we're heading to our next caller. We have our good friend Pam up in Clinton. Good morning, Pam. Oh, good morning, everybody. How are you? Good. I had trouble picking you up on the radio this morning. I had a panic attack for a minute. Did you? Yeah. Well, we're, then, we're well and truly here. Yes. I um I couldn't get the station. Anyway, oh. I did, and that was good. Okay. Perseverance. Anyway. Yes, well done. I was listening while I was sweeping the floors, and I heard Chloe mention that garden in Western Australia, or that place in Western Australia. Mm. And I'm sure that was where I went. I did a botanical tour about 30 years ago in Western Australia, and I'm sure that's where we went. And I've never been able to remember where it was, so my ears completely pricked up. (laughs) And you mentioned the name of it. Do they still have, like, because I went with um, a small group, there were six of us, and they were botanists that took us you know yeah so they um it's called high valley farm so mm. h-i valley v-a-double-l-double-e farm um run yeah. by don and joy williams in um now he's a mouthful of a town Bajangara. it's just in it's almost directly inland from mount lasua national park Mm. Um, you can you can camp there. So we wanted to get out of the Lancel and Winds for a couple of nights. So we went inland and just like a miracle found this found High Valley Farm, and it was like plant heaven for me. Oh, um, it was amazing. Oh, it, it's just incredible. It's incredible what Don mm. and Joy have done as well to have the wow. to have the foresight to um, and the gumption to close off you know a thousand one fifth of their property. <clears throat> And and keep it as as remnant bushland is is no well he feet. did because he could have run the risk of losing everything by not burning it down yeah yeah and and just clearing it for grazing because they I think mm. it's um they've got mm. sheep there so you can camp there 
Um, if... Which you couldn't when I was there. I mean, it was, I mean, like I said, it was about 30 years ago. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they've got a little campground um, and there's water available. There is electricity available as well um, and you can just explore. And it's just amazing. I'll never forget it. Yeah, I'll never forget it. It's just amazing. Yeah, they've got a, they do a lot of work with um, the West Australian botanists and with the Perth Zoo as well because they've got a lot of fauna um, within their flora. So they've, they're very involved with, with um, West Australian science over there. Mm. So it's, it's really cool. It's really cool what they're doing. They've got some amazing plants they've, that you, you don't find anywhere else. There's eucalyptus ah. pendens. Uh, and they've got I, 95% of the world's population of eucalyptus pendants. It's just, it's this weeping eucalypt. It's just beautiful. And some other rare eucalypts and, and so many banksias and dryandras. And, a and weird... the dryandras were absolutely mm. massive, I can remember. Yeah. Um, and it was, did they have a lot of palms or cycads? Uh, there, there's quite a few cycads. Um, mm. uh, Macrosamias, I think. Mm. And yeah. they were massive. Yeah, they're huge. They're just mm. huge. Mm. Yeah, it's, oh, it's really good. diverse, and people should go there. I, I found it. Oh, yes, I liked it more than Mount Lassua National Park. Well, if I go back again, yes. which I probably will one day, um, I would definitely yeah. go back to there. And I'm so it was so good to hear you talk about it. <laughs> yeah, so it's what well were their names the again? Don and Julie. Don, Don and Joy. Um, Joy Williams. Williams. Yep. Yep. At High Valley Farm. Mm. It's only a couple of hours north of Perth. It's not. It's not that far out. So yeah. straight up the Bruce Highway, I oh, think. Yeah, no, that was great. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Very good. I'm coming down today, Stephen, to have a look at the show. Good, yes, do that. I'm sure Greg will be really pleased to see you. <laughs> Kyneton's been so dry and everything. Mm. And yeah. like the it is everywhere. And I, everywhere. I know, and yeah. I look at everything that they put on the bench from Woodend and, um, and Mount Macedon, and, oh, God, I, anyway... <laughs> Maybe it's nice to go and look Stephen. Yes, we'll definitely come down and have a look You have to support it somehow Fantastic Terrific All right Okay, okay thank you very much for all of that Okay no Good I'm on your pleased. plan Bye Thank Bye. you, bye-bye that number, if you'd like to join us this morning, we're running through until 9.15, so we'd love to hear from you. The number is 94190155. We have Stephen Ryan and Chloe Foster in the studio. Stephen, of course, is from Dixonia Rare Plants up in, on Mount Macedon. And Chloe Foster, of course, is uh, from uh, Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. I mean, I should officially say Botanic Gardens, Victoria, Cranbourne. I don't know why they changed the name. I think it's such a they, mouthful. It is, a, it is a mouthful, I will admit that. But they wanted to sort of bring it all together under one umbrella. Mm. I understand that. And but I, Royal Botanic Gardens, Victoria, Melbourne Gardens, Cranbourne, Cranbourne Gardens. Yes. There's the Herbarium, National Herbarium, Victoria. Yes. And then RQ. So there's those four points under one big Royal Botanic Gardens of Victoria yes. But it's a mouthful to say I work at the Royal Botanic Gardens Victoria Cranbourne Gardens. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So it's um, quite a mouthful. But anyhow. Yeah. That's yeah. right. It keeps the stationary people busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, but as I mentioned, that number if you'd like to join us, nine four one nine zero one double five. Stephen, let's go to the next plant. All right, well, or tongue is yes, on its way. In it fact is. it's here. It's finally starting. Um I've got a a sense it's going to be a short, sharp autumn this year. Oh. Um, what because, sense? Well, because it's been such a dry summer um, and it's 
been extended well into autumn, I think a lot of the trees are going to turn and shed really quickly. Okay. Uh, and I've noticed already that some things are colouring and then browning rather fast. So if you want to get in for the autumn colour, don't leave your run too late this year. I've got a feeling, you know, by the uh, end of March into early April, I think it'll be pretty well all over by then okay. this year. Last year went on for weeks did, and weeks yeah. and weeks and weeks. So lots of things are starting to turn. And so I bought something in this morning that is starting to turn, uh, just to remind me of the fact that autumn is coming and, and we're getting the lovely autumn leaves. And the plant I bought in this morning is one of the witch hazels, um, hammer malice. And they're a group of moderately large deciduous shrubs, um, mainly from China and Japan, although there's a couple of North American species as well. Um, uh, They tend to be mainly winter flowering and they get little tiny strap petaled flowers that are all crinkly and wrinkly. So they've got this sort of spidery look to the flowers. Um, And the Asian ones have probably the showiest of the flowers uh, and they're breeding new varieties all the time in in Belgium and America and all over the place. The one I bought in this morning is one called Arnold's Promise and it was bred at the Arnold Arboretum uh, in North America. Uh, So it's not named after... Arnold Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger or anybody <laughs> like that. Um, it's named after the arboretum it was found in. And normally speaking, the hamamalises, the colour the flower goes, tends to designate what the autumn colour will be. So if you have a yellow-flowered one, then your autumn foliage tends to be yellow. If you've got an orange-flowered one, it tends to be orange. And if you've got a burgundy-flowered one, it tends to be burgundy. Ah, um, cool. But in the case of Arnold Promise, Arnold's Promise, it's slightly different because it's a sort of an egg yolk yellow-flowered one, but it gets amazing reds and oranges and things in the autumn foliage. So it's sort of, well, exception that proves the rule, I guess. Yeah. Um, it also makes a quite... Dense bushy plant. A lot of the hamamalis have quite long, whippy branches on them, and they tend to flower along the branches. Because this has twiggy sort of growth to it, you tend to get a more concentrated effect of flowers uh, on Arnold's Promise. And it is a quite rich egg yolky yellow when it's in flower. Um, many of them have a perfume, although I don't find the hamamalis' scents as pervading as some other winter flowering things. But Nonetheless, there is a perfume involved. Um, they're reasonably hardy, but they don't like 45 degrees in a howling northwesterly. Mm-hmm. So you need to find a spot that's a bit sheltered from the worst heat of the summer for them. Um, they will tolerate a fair bit of shade, um, although they tend to grow a little more open in the shade, but that can be fine too. Uh, and they're not the world's fastest growing thing either. I mean, the little tree I bought in, which would be sort of two-thirds of a metre tall, I suppose, is already about two and a half, three years old from when it was grafted. So Grafted. Yes, and they do tend to graft them. Uh, they're hard to strike from cuttings, and they take a long time to produce a decent root system as a cutting-grown plant. Right. So they tend to use one of the North American species, which they can raise from seed quite easily, uh, as an understock for the, the named clones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and therein is another risk you have, too, because it's grafted. You've got to keep an eye on what's growing below the graft. Mm. And Hamamalis is inclined to send up the odd shoot below the graft, particularly, well, actually not just particularly as a young tree. Even in old age, they'll sometimes send up a, a piece of understock and because the understock's foliage is very similar to that which is growing above, a lot of people don't notice. So you've got to keep an eye out for understock mm. um, and whip it off whilst it's small. Uh, if it's really small, I just get my fingernail in and dig yeah. it out. Just, yeah. I like doing that. Yeah, it's like yeah. popping pimples or something. Like oh, Chloe, oh, I knew you were going to say that. 
Why it's did like, I know that? I don't know. It's like when, with like a standard grevillea or something, and you got the robustus trying to robustly grow, yeah. and you just pick them off. It's, I don't know, it's the same feeling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You've got me really grossed out there. Um... <laughs> So anyhow, so yes, grafted plants, that is something that people should be aware of. And when you're planting a grafted plant, particularly when it's young, try and make sure that the graft is clear of the ground. Yeah. Because uh, when it's still got a little sort of hole in it, which they often have until it completely seals over, uh, then if they're in contact with the soil, they can often get rot and mm. what have mm. you in them. Um, so there you go. Okay. Well, I'm delighted to say that uh, online we have Penny Woodward. Good morning, Penny. Morning, Pam. Good morning, listeners. Morning, Penny. Good morning. Hi. Hi. Hello. Now, now tell us all, I know you're in northern Tassie. Tell us all why, where you are, why you're there. Okay. I'm in northern Tassie for the Tasmanian Natural Garlic and Tomato, Tomato and Garlic Festival. Right. Um, and look, it, it should have been this amazing, um, event, but we have howling winds and really heavy rain. Oh. Um, I don't know if you can hear the tents that I'm in in the background. But I can. It's not not quite lifting off. Right. Um, but look, the, the message that we were trying to get out to anyone who is in northern Tassie and would like to come is that um, although quite a few of the schoolholders have cancelled, um, there is still a, um, a, a... We're still doing the talks all day. Um, so I'm talking about garlic twice the day. We've got um, Katrina Nusky-Small from New South Wales who's been talking about the tomato breeding that she's been doing in the Dwarf Tomato Project, which is absolutely fascinating. Um, and we've got hundreds of different cultivars of tomatoes for people to look at and try and buy. Um, Cora and Ness and Neville and their family have worked so hard for this event. And, and, and that says that there'll be a huge saucepan of tomato soup for anyone who um, once something to eat. <laughs> Great be, idea. There'll be coffee all day, um, and there will be some stall holders who will turn up, um, despite that we're just not sure who, you know, it's a very dynamic situation at the moment with everybody doing the very best that they can. But, you know, gardeners and farmers are, are tough people, so I still expect, you know, lots of people to turn up and, and to have fun even with the adversity. Okay, so so for for listeners who are down in uh, northern Tassie, where is the actual address and what times is it running? It's, it's at Shelbourne, which is um, not far from Launceston, so S-E-L-B-O-U-R-N-E, and I should have thought that you were going to ask me for the address, but, but honestly, if you, if you um, search for it on the internet, um, you'll just put in Tasmanian Natural Garlic and Tomatoes and you'll find out all the details. Okay. Um, so, but it, it's um, yeah, not far from Launceston. Okay, and, and I think you um, mentioned it opens at nine. Is that right? It, it starts. It, well, it, I think I wouldn't turn up till ten. Okay. The talk, the talk starts at ten. Yes. So if you turn up just before just before ten, and um, it runs to about three o'clock this afternoon. Fantastic. Okay, and uh, we were talking about Mifcus earlier in the program, and I mentioned you're going to be out there on the um, Organic Gardener magazine stand. I am indeed. It's the Gardening Australia and Organic Gardener magazine stand. So, right. Um, we're doing it together, and um, I'll be there every day. So if, if anyone wants to come and say good day, it would be fantastic to see them. And um, although we need rain in Victoria too, 
Um, we probably don't need quite as much as we're getting here at the moment. <laughs> Goodness, well, I hope it's not coming up our way t- this afternoon, Penny, because I've got an okay. event in my garden this afternoon. Okay, so. well, good luck. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. I, don't, I really don't want to put people off from coming because there are lots of people here doing interesting things and there's lots of interesting things to see. So, um, you know, put your raincoat on, put your gumboots on and come anyway. Okay, fantastic. fantastic. Thanks for that, Penny. We, we're, no worries. Um, you're not terribly clear um, on the phone line, so we will leave it at that. Okay. Okay. No worries, Thanks. Bye. 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 And uh, we have we have found uh, all the information. Thanks to Jan, who's been working very hard there. It's at three three eight Four Springs Road in Selborne. Um, admission is ten dollars. So anyone who's in Northern Tasmania who'd like to Brave the weather yeah. and go along. I mean, often that can be fun. Well, of course it can. Braving the weather. I, I remember some of the up. Tesla events where we got, you know, sort of bucketed rain on. Yes. And that's coming up, by the way, people, on the 14th and 15th of April, if you're looking for somewhere else to go. Yes. Uh, I'll be up at Tesla's. Um, and, yeah, I remember one time we were using a broom to sort of push up the edges of the marquee because it was sort of starting to swell with water. Oh, <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> and you're sort of pushing it up, trying and to get yeah, the water to go yeah. Flash without <laughs> poking a hole in it. <laughs> yeah, that's right, exactly. But, you know, and it didn't mean that there weren't people there. They were, you know, still out there buying plants, listening to talks, doing yes, the whole gardening thing. And, and probably sort of, I don't know, almost taking in the rain because, I, I mean, when you get good rain after a dry spell, mm. gardeners seem to, I think, we reinvigorate Absolutely. as well as our gardens. Yeah. You know, you, you, you feel your own self sort of swelling yeah. out with the pleasure of actual natural rain. Mm. There's, mm. there's this smell of when rain yeah. comes along too and oh, it's the most glorious smell. Mm. I don't know what what it is. It's ozone or something. Ozone I or oh, yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah, some fabulous yeah. It's chemical. also the settling of the dust. Yes. Yes, and I can yep. deal with a bit of that. Yes. <laughs> so dusty. Uh, yeah, well, I'm on a dirt road oh, and we've got so this quite I. large fish pond down oh. in the front of our garden and you go out and there's this sort of suspended sort of dust all over the top of the pond and it looks disgusting (laughs) and I have to go out and break the tension to get the Mm. dust to just settle down into Mm. the pond because it it looks awful so I I feel like doing a Monet and having my little section of road sealed (laughs) because Monet did that at at Giverny because he had his main body of the garden and then there's this little dirt road and then he had his water lily ponds on the other side side, and he used to get the gardeners into the pond to clean the water lily leaves. Oh, wow. Yeah, obviously. It is a huge pond. It is a huge pond. Um, <laughs> I'd like to have money to be able to pay someone to do that. Yeah. Clean yeah my go lily and polish the water lilies, college, please. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in the end, he actually got permission to surface his section of the road wow. so that people would be on a gravel dirt road and then suddenly they'd be on a bit of bitumen and then they'd go out the other side and they'd go back onto the gravel dirt oh, road that's again. Great. Um, How grand. Yeah, well, I think so. I think that, you know, that's just the sort of thing, you know, peel me another grape. I don't know. All that sort of, you know, <laughs> over-the-top stuff yeah. is fantastic. I just wish I was wealthy enough to do it. Um, <laughs> but I don't want my road to be gra- uh, to be bitumened, I have to say, though. I quite like being on a dirt oh, road. Oh, I love driving on dirt roads. Yeah. There's something special about yeah, them. Yeah, I think so. And being on one in the country, I know I I've had neighbours at different times saying, oh, wouldn't it be nice, nice if we got some curbing and channelling and some bitumen? No, and I'm it thinking, wouldn't. No. No, it's so I much character. Yeah. yeah, you live in the country.
country. Yeah, Move know, to the suburbs if you want bitumen road. Yeah, yeah. well, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so I love my dirt road apart from the fact that it makes my fish pond look grotty. Mm. Uh, well, I mean, you know, I have we have fought to not have our little road mm. sealed because it's a no-through road. There's only seven of us yeah. in, in, in the road. But, of course, the neighbours got together and tried this movement to let's get it sealed, you know, and we fought very hard. And luckily, I'm still on a dirt road. My car is filthy dirty. Mm. But well, um, I call my car a habitat. But everyone, everyone slows <laughs> yes. down. You immerse yourself within yeah. the environment uh, instantly. Yeah. And that's yeah. the thing. I mean, our road is a little windy one, and it sort of winds around my garden. I mean, my garden sort of billows out over the road. Um, and, you know, occasionally we've had neighbours say, oh, it's dangerous, you know, you should cut all that stuff back, and uh, we should straighten the road. And I've said, yeah, if, if we cut it all back and straighten the road, Everyone's going to go guard. twice yeah. as far. Yeah. The kids will go hurtling down there, you know, the hoony kids that, you know, that's think right. it's all really funny. That's uh, right. And they'll go at great speed down the road and they'll probably kill everybody's dogs. Yes. Um, so I like the fact that people have to almost be slow on our road anyway mm. by just the physical nature of the road. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. I'm the only one that goes at a reasonable speed down that road. <laughs> So when they get the bump, when they get those grading bumps in them, you just you can't go you can't go fast. No, you no, know, it's impossible. Exactly, exactly. And if you go too fast, the dust flies everywhere, mm. and it's like slow down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh well, it's it's but it is but it's part of living in the country, and I would hate it, it if our road was sealed. Well, I wouldn't or really call it Elfin Country. You don't have to be no, in the country. But Elfin's very green. It's you know beautiful trees and. Oh, speaking yeah. of which, how yes. did you, how did your um, uh, march against the selling of the parks go? Well, they do you know they're bringing up at, at each council meeting over the next um, little while they're bringing up one park or one reserve at a time. Oh. So, which means there has to be um, lobby groups go to attend each council meeting uh, in turn well, to discuss. Sneaky. Yes, isn't it? Yeah. So they're still trying to sneak in, but. There was the biggest mass crowd I have ever seen. Oh, fantastic. The, the police closed off the main road of Eltham and we all proudly marched down. We filled up the whole road all the way through Eltham. Good, good. Um, Public. Yes. So, um, yes. Hopefully, hopefully, but the fight is still on. Yeah. Oh, well. Look, these things never go fizzle out quickly. You've got to keep at mm. it with most of these things. But at least you had a really good turnout for the, for we the did. march. And, we did. Uh, uh, and obviously the council now know that the people of uh, Eltham are keen to try and keep their green spaces. Uh, but do, do you know their reason for doing it? Isn't it a financial one? They just it, need It's the money? a financial one. But do you know what they need the money for? Because they made promises for other things like a bike trail in Hurstbridge, which they didn't have the money for. So why did they promise it now? It doesn't have to happen now. It's been on the books for years and years to complete that trail, but if they don't have the money, don't don't do it. We need the reserves kept and we'll... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's no logic to some of these things. Anyhow. It anyway, could be worse. the fight is on. Your, sh- your mayor could be Donald Trump or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Heaven help us all. Yes. <laughs> oh, goodness okay. me. Okay. Did we... Did we well, we have got back, one more plant. We have, but before we go to it, yeah. did we complete the witch hazel? Oh, because uh, I sort of had to stop you because we oh, had yeah, Penny. Oh, yeah, Penny was coming on board. Yeah. Um, I think we sort of did... Um, um, I'm not sure there's anything else I really need to say about them... Um, other than the fact that they are a little bit more available at the moment. Um, for years, they were really scarce. Nobody was propagating them. They were really hard to get. There was only one or two growers doing them, and they were little. Um, but a couple of the bigger growers in the last couple of years 
for whatever reason, decided they were going to grow and sell witch hazels. And so I've been able to buy them as quite established bare-rooted plants, uh, which has never happened before. Uh, and it means I can say, well, this one is comparatively small compared to some of the hemomalluses I've actually got in the, in the nursery to sell. And because they're not fast-growing plants, they're definitely worth spending a little bit of extra money on to get one that's get got a, a little bit, bit of size. Uh, because, you know you may not live long enough to see a really big hemomalus. So if you can get something that's got a little bit of size and it's something sort of getting onto a metre or a little more, um, then you've got something that will start to flower, it will have a little bit of form and shape to it, and it will sort of make an impact immediately. Mm. But if you if you bought a little tiny wee one in a six-inch pot or something... You're going to have to wait a long time. Oh, ages. I mean, to get one to the size I've got this plant here, it would take two or three years from grafting. Okay. So it's not the fastest growing thing in the world. Uh, uh, but that in itself is not a bad thing. I think people... Are still far too impatient in their gardens. Oh, I'm sure of it. You know, I think people need to start thinking about their gardens as a process, not as a product. Mm. And so they don't need to have everything happen immediately. The, the fun of watching something grow and develop uh, is great. In fact, you know, I have this sense that if I ever make it to 80, uh, which is getting closer and closer, uh, I'm going to plant something that takes 20 years to flower because it gives me something to live for. Exactly. You know, I, I mean, I don't see the need for mm. things to be instantaneous. Mm. I mean, everything else in our lives is... You know, you can get fast food, you get fast communications, you get fast everything. Um, the garden should actually be a place where you slow down. Mm. And so things that grow slowly are not necessarily a disadvantage in a garden. I think they can actually be good. And quite often things that are slow growing also have longevity, whereas some things that grow really fast often have a short but merry That's right. Life. That's very true. So, you know, so I like things that I think I can plant and I will hopefully get value out of for the next 20 or 30 years mm. or more. Why mm. not? Mm. Mm. So do you think there's just been more interest in witch hazels or do you think um, it's been deemed that it's a suitable tree for, Look, I, I think for the backyard? You can never tell with, with the big growers what, how they're thinking. Yeah. Um, uh, and Maybe so they, they just had some, a surplus yeah, of Well, well they, you know, they do do some odd things at times and uh, I try and surf in on their backs when, um, when they produce something that I see as a really worthy plant that hasn't been around much. Yes. I will certainly jump in and grab them uh, because I know that there's a good chance that a year or two down the track I'm one of the few that jumped in and grabbed them and therefore they stop doing them again. And that happens time and time again. So when somebody and, – and they all seem to do it at once – you don't have one nursery that says, all right, I'm going to do witch hazels. Yes. You have two or three that decide they're going to do witch hazels. So they virtually flood the potential market with witch hazels. Right. Uh, and then a year or two down the track, they think, this oh. sounds well. like a conspiracy theory. Well, you do wonder. <laughs> um, but it does seem odd that they've all done it at once. Um, and, you know, some of them have done them particularly well, I have to say. Some of the plants were remarkably robust and well-grown. Okay. Um, so I leapt in and bought quite a lot. And yep. they'll keep me going for several years if, in fact, they pull out again, yep. uh, and then it'll be something else. Okay. You know, so you've just got to keep yeah. on, on, on... It's interesting, isn't it, though? On, yeah, you've got to keep up with it. Yeah, and, yeah absolutely. Okay, we've got a couple of callers. We're going first to Ken in Sunshine. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, all you wonderful people. How are you this morning, Ken? I was thinking of you, Ken, last weekend when I was letting off steam on air about <laughs> uh, my council and trying to sell off these little, lovely little corner reserves... Well, that's what happened with us five years ago. Yes. We won. Yes, I know. And all you've got to do is stand up and fight. Well, we're trying. And they're very, very weak. Well, we had a great dictatorship. It wasn't actually a council. And uh, we knocked them flat. And um, they're starting now. We've got a council back and democracy's back. And um, 
they're starting to do the parks up and we're making sure they are. So Great. Good on you. So, good on you and it's power, power to people. Absolutely. Well, we, power to gardeners. We, we seem to have the whole of uh, Nillambic residents uh, with us, so we'll just see how we go. But they're trying to sell off 17 of them. Oh, aren't they criminals? I mean, are that's they all, Are they all house block parks? Um. Well, virtually, yes. And they're the most important ones. The big parks are nice. Of course they are. But these are, are, are little parks where kids can go. And That's right. And That's right. That's right. And and they say it's it's just spare land and nobody's using it. But everybody are, is using it. Whose land is it? Pays the rates. Yes. Your land. Of it's course our it land. is. Yep. Well, well, the fight will continue, Ken. And good luck, and I'm sure you're going to win. Good on you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Next up, we have uh, Sharon in Cheltenham. Good morning, Sharon. Oh, good morning. Um, look, my ringing is um, our council has finally agreed to do um, three-storey development, mm. which is because we're in the Southland precinct. All right. Um, which is, the residents have been fighting for about a year, clearly not going to win this one, I don't think. Um, I understand the need for more housing and we don't want to keep developing all the way to, to um, Timbuktu, but um, I'm going to try and say to them that we must have more trees and more, a little bit more open space left. There's mm. One of the things they're talking about is having reduced setbacks so there won't even be as much front yard. Oh, goodness. Because at the moment there is a restriction in our street. Um, but, of course, once they reduce the garden sizes, they'll argue you can't have big trees. Yes. What I was thinking some time ago, I think it was Stephen mentioned um, natives that are less likely to drop large branches. Probably wasn't me specifically, but uh, I mean, there are plenty of trees that have a reputation for being sound growing trees. And it's just a matter of uh, whether they're exotic or native trees uh, in talking to people who have good tree experience. And uh, if I were looking for somebody to talk to me about the sorts of trees that you have uh, in gardens that are reasonably sound and, you know, I mean, any tree can be damaged by bad storms. We've got to accept that that can happen. Yeah. Um, but um, I would have thought that some of the local really good tree surgeons would be the place I'd be going to. Right, um, yes, that's true because they deal with... The yeah, they up. deal with tree issues all the time yeah. and they would know the ones that they get called out to all the time that they have to deal with that are a problem and they'd also know the ones that don't seem to cause them an issue. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, so I, I would see if I could find a good local tree surgeon that's worked around the area for a while and have a chat to them about it um, because all of these things tend to be a little bit regional, so it's a nice idea to get some sort of local input into these things yeah. uh, for the area that you live in. But, you know, large trees and houses don't necessarily exclude each other, even on smaller blocks. I get quite annoyed that people see these things as, as somehow being an absolute danger. Um, I mean, you go into some of the leafy parts of central Melbourne, sort of into East Melbourne and places like that where there's huge big elm trees in the streets. Mm, um, all the plane trees. All the plane trees. Uh, there was, uh, I know of a, a tree that was removed in, in one of the streets in, in Melbourne that was a beautiful old tulip tree, which I had not seen a, as big a one in Melbourne some, anywhere. And it was within probably two metres of the wall of a three-storey heritage-listed um, uh, 
block of units or flats that were put in back in the 1920s and this thing had been growing perfectly soundly and happily with the side of the building right near it and it was far taller than the three-storey building. Um, magnificent tree and then the body corporate got together and decided to remove it because they were frightened of it. Mm. But I mean, you, you don't get like that about going out in your car. No, well, more people get killed by cars than they do by trees, that's for sure. Uh, and you're right, they don't sort of say, oh, well, we should ban them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think it's all a matter of um, degrees with these things. And, and I think people should be encouraged to plant largish trees, even in smallish blocks, uh, as long as they do select a tree species if if they're going to start a tree off um, uh, that seems to be more appropriate from the perspective of soundness and, you know, and how much leaf drop there is and all the other things that you need to take into consideration. There's always a good tree. And, and trees should be at least taller than a house to be a tree. That's right. I clearly... And the, the other thing, Sharon, is that we really have to have large canopies. We have to cool, particularly in new development areas, we have to cool the environment. Mm. If you don't have a large canopy, yeah. you're just having the sun beating down on all this concrete... Oh. And and it's 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 terrible. I just don't know how to get through to um, the council because someone pointed out to me this is probably the state government's ruling, but the local government is the one that could do the tree side of it. Yes, um, and should and 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 should in fact be putting more stringent restrictions on what people can remove mm. that's already there too. Well, you know, if they're going to allow for these sorts of extra developments within places, they've got to try and protect some of the character of the area. I mean, just wholesale removal and, and plonking great big buildings in the middle of everything. You take away the habitat for all the animals, um, it, and as Pam points out quite rightly, you, you heat the whole area up. Uh, with global um, weather changes and so forth, you don't have the tree canopy there to break up the, the, uh, the rain wind. as well and the wind, um, uh, to soak up the excess water when we get those storm incidences. Uh, I mean, it's just, it, it's just so important and, and councils just see trees as somehow some sort of liability. Mm. Sharon, can I, can I make a suggestion? Yes. Um, the nursery and garden industry of Victoria have been running a campaign which they call 2020 which is all about greening up our cities for all the reasons we've been talking about. I'm sure um, if you have the opportunity to invite a speaker out to address council or to, um, to at least have a public meeting about it, they would have an excellent speaker to come and talk about it. They've, they've, they've done all the research. Yeah. Um, and 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 uh, they would be very approachable, I'm sure, because this is exactly what they're they're fighting for. That's brilliant. That's All right, so there's a couple of ideas. That's a great idea. By the way, I've still got my bees, and the bougainvillea is getting bigger by the day. <laughs> <laughs> I've rung about five um, local tree people because I've got another tree I want to cut out. It's died, right. and they don't even return their calls. They they last seen running down the drive. Oh dear. Oh. Um, so I'm going to have to get rid of, um, uh, get the bees taken away because um, I've got to prune it. Sooner or later it will be, it's about 25 foot high. Isn't it? Oh dear. Um, it, there isn't anybody that uh, would like the bees. Well, there's always the potential for somebody to take away a hive. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've had three swarms in my nursery over the last. 12 months, uh, and there were local people who came and took them away. 
Oh, okay. So okay. I would get in touch with one of the... Uh, one of the bee clubs. Yeah, one of the bee clubs oh, and okay. say you've got a swarm at your place. Uh, are they prepared to come and try and take the swarm away for you? And uh, they, they, they do that service all the time. Mm. Yes. So it's just a matter of contacting uh, one of the bee clubs around. Yes, it is a great pity we enjoy them, but, um, uh, it, you know, nobody will do it until the bees are gone. Okay, um, I'll... Have you got a paper and pencil? Yes, right here. I'll give you a, the phone number for Bees Victoria. Okay. Uh, it's 5792. 5792. 4074. 40, sorry? 4074. 4074, okay. Yep. If you have a chat to them, um, then uh, I'm sure they can put you onto a local club that's near you. Mm-hmm. That's great. Thank you for both of those. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Right, uh, we are running through for another 15 minutes. If you want to jump on the phone lines, um, do give us a call. That number is 94190155. Stephen, we've still got that last plan. Yes, I have. Good. This is a slightly weird one, and again, something that only came to my attention in comparatively recent times. I've only been growing it for a year or two. Um, And it's a plant called Syningia tuberflora, and Syningia, for those who don't know, is the genus under which the Gloxinia lives. Ah, okay. So your great big gaudy greenhouse Gloxinias are Syningias. And this is a cold-hardy um, species of the same genus. Uh, Tuberflora is a great name for that flower. Yeah, it is. It's got a long trumpet-like white bloom. Um, it's a, a late summer autumn growing tuberous plant, so it has a sort of a, a, a tuber under it or... Yeah, it's a tuber. Yeah. Um, and so it dies down to the tuber in the winter. The main trick with this plant is to keep its tubers dryish during the winter when it's dormant. So it's probably best kept in a pot uh, so that you can regulate how much moisture it gets at different times of the year. Yep. It has a very strong perfume. Uh, if I hold that up over the desk for you to oh, it does. have a whiff, it's got a really yes. nice scent. Yes, um, and it grows to around about 60 to 90 centimetres tall. Um, once you get a pot full of tubers, you'll have quite a number of stems coming up with their lovely white flowers on it. Um, the foliage is sort of furry. Um, and, yes, it's an odd outlier in its genus. So it's another one of these genera that tends to be sort of considered as tropical, but they have the odd species that is much more cold-hardy. And it's, it just goes to show that you can't sort of put everything in one genus uh, into the same box. Yes, and exactly. you've got to look at the, the plants in different ways. Mm. As I point out to people, if I say Daphne, they think of something that's either pink or white and smelly uh, and probably an evergreen shrub to a metre and a half tall. Yep. But there's Daphne's that grow to three or four metres tall. There's Daphne's that only grow to a few centimetres high. There's Daphne's that have yellow flowers. Um, there's Daphne's that are summer deciduous. There's, you know, they're... A, a much bigger group of plants and we get to know a group by one species and we assume everything else in the genus is, is quite similar, but they're not always. So Syningia tuberflora, uh, I think it comes from the lower reaches of the Himalayas. Okay. Um, and uh, it is a really charming, white, perfumed, tuberous plant flowering at this time of the year. Mm. So there you go. So that's the, the last of the bits and pieces I brought along today. Um, just whipping around the nursery last thing last night and grabbed a few pots to bring down to talk about. Um, and, uh, yeah, hopefully it'll give people a, a sense of um, 
uh, some unusual bits and pieces. Mm. And actually thinking about it, I have actually put the Sinningia up on my Facebook page. So if people did want to see it, uh, and this is something that I hope will sort of help people as they go along. I also think uh, Oxalis Bowie might be up there already too. So, you know, as things are seasonally coming on board, I'm trying to get images of them up there. And so if I remember when we're doing a program and I'm talking about a plant, I'll mention if I've actually managed to put it up on my Facebook page because it is quite nice. So to people can see yeah, what we're can, actually talking yeah, about. Yeah, they can go in and have a look. They could be doing mm. it whilst we're talking about mm. it uh, and seeing the plant before their very eyes. Mm. So would the Syningia be, be frost tolerant? Uh, well, it dies down in the winter, so as long so as you keep the tubers dry, yeah. uh, it doesn't seem to mind going down to low temperatures. Right. Uh, so I've had them sitting in pots in the shade house right through the winter, and it hasn't seemed to worry them, them at, at all. all. Um, yeah. They do come up quite late in the spring, though, and you rather wonder so whether you, they're going to be there. you start getting anxious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you think, oh, those things, they've died out oh, of me. Uh, and it. then suddenly up they come. They, they're almost sort of early summer by the time they decide to come up. Yep. Uh, so it is quite a late thing to come through, but then because it flowers so late into the season, I can sort of mm. understand that. But yeah, it seems to be cold-hardy enough, uh, but it is a matter of not letting them get wet in the winter. Right. Because uh, if they get wet and then cold, then they'll just rot. Yep. But if they're on the dry side, they'll probably cope with quite low temperatures. Yep. So there you go. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Very useful. So we haven't got anybody ringing in. What's going on out there? We haven't. If if you'd like to jump on the phones before we finish for the morning, that number again is 94190155. That's 94190155. You've got your tulips in, have you? No. No? <laughs> no, I never worry about the tulips till fairly late. Anything else I'm trying to get in, I try and get in early. Yep. But you can often put the tulips in after the weather breaks, and that means it's easier to dig the ground. Fair enough. So, yes, yeah, so I haven't. Uh, but I have been in discussion with Rachel via email about the possibility of my tulips for my asparagus bed this yes. year. Uh, so have you decided on a colour? Yeah, I think I'm going to go white. Okay. I think I've decided a, a big patch of white tulips would be quite something. Yes. So, and... The bed that I'm going to have the asparagus in is in sort of the lower left-hand corner of the vegetable garden. And my rhubarb bed where I've got the purple tulips is in the top right-hand corner of okay. the vegetable garden. So they're sort of in diametrically opposed corners of the vegetable garden. Um, so it should be quite fun to sort of walk into the vegetable garden. And on your left, you'll sort of see this great big patch of white. And then further up, you'll see this big patch of purple. Um, the only issue I've got is that I can't really fill the rest of the vegetable garden up with tulips because the rest of the vegetable garden needs to be there for the annual vegetables and you can't sort of plant bulbs under those. It needs to be productive. Those. Yeah, so, yeah, so the rhubarb and the, and the asparagus I can get away with. Yep. Uh, but the rest of the veggie garden will have to be tulipless because uh, I can't see how I can grow my lettuces and my broad beans and everything hard. else if I'm going <laughs> to have tulips in the bed with them. So, um, yeah, so – and that – raises the issue that, yes, I need to, once this weekend's over and things have sort of calmed down, I need to start digging over some new beds to get ready for all of those things that need to go in before the cold weather really hits. Mm. So I'll try and get my broad beans in shortly. Uh, I need to get some young broccoli plants in. Uh, so all those sort of things need to go in so that I've, I've got them sort of anchored and sort of underway before the cold weather sets in. Yes. So, yes, and I'm eating sweet corn at the moment, which has been... Okay. Fantastic. My sweet corn in went rather went in rather late, and because of the coolish summer, it took quite a while to, yes, to ripen. Yes, it was very slow, wasn't but it? But it's lovely. It's delicious. We're having it almost every evening as sort of an entree mm. before the main course. We just do a 
sweet corn cob each, and it's delicious. So. Well, you see, that, that ties in with our seasons, our weather seasons slowly shifting. Mm. Because, I mean, originally I used to plant out my, my summer veggies around um, September, yeah. you know. Now I'm doing it much later. Mm. I'm leaving it till October, and, and in fact you could almost leave a lot of it till November. Yeah. Because our, our, our hot weather is coming in later. It is. Yeah. It is. So, it's, yeah. it's gradually, there's a whole mm. shift. And so, and so I'm finding that I'm trying to garden in, in collaboration, trying to fit in yeah. with, with, with that whole, whole shift in our weather yeah. pattern. And, and you do have to adapt to it. So, you do. You know, there's no point in just you know, locking in a date in your diary and saying, well, I've done that every year at that time. Always, and so that's obviously the time I have to do it. Yeah, because people used to keep, um, they used to, you know, you used to, used to hear it's so good to keep a, a gardening diary mm. so you know when you planted yeah. out something and when to do it again next year, but it's changing. Yeah, it Definitely is. You do changing. have to adapt. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Yeah, so um, interesting times. We've suddenly got some calls. Oh, goodness, we, we best. Yeah, we best rush through them. We've only got a few minutes now. Okay, well, we're going to Diane, who's in Epping. Good morning, Diane. Yes, good morning. Um, I, I wouldn't mind planting a fig tree, but my husband keeps saying it's no good for the foundations and the sewerage pipes. So. Yeah, I wouldn't be too worrying about that. The sewerage pipe should be properly sealed and are probably deeper than the root system of the fig yeah. will go down to. So I wouldn't worry about your sewerage pipes. Um, and I've seen some stunningly beautiful figs espaliered against the walls of houses. So have I. Oh, and they work beautifully. And they do work beautifully as an so spelling. And they fruit up. Mm. And the foundations, no, everybody says, oh, The fig tree won't damage your foundations whilst you're still alive. <laughs> so it's not your worry. Yes, it'll be definitely somebody else's problem. So uh, I think we tend to think too far ahead. Uh, and considering what's happening throughout our suburbs at the moment where houses are being ripped down all over the place, who's to say yours is going to be there after you go? True. Okay. So enjoy your fig tree. Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. Tell him we said so. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Okay, next up we have uh, Barbara in Edithvale. Good morning, Barbara. Oh, good morning. Um, I have a question about Micaiah Bella. Yeah. Yes. I have two of them and I love them to bits, yeah. but they are looking horrible in that they have little sticky bits all over the top, remnants of the old flowers. Yeah. Do I cut them back or yeah, what? You look, you can cut Micaiah Bella back to the ground if you want to. And in fact, I won't do that. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, no. you could go over the whole plant and cut it back quite firmly, um, and it will reshoot quite quickly. It will refill quite quickly, and you'll get rid of all of that sort of detritus that you don't want. Good. So don't be frightened of it. Um, it's a very quick-growing shrub, so it'll it'll very quickly um, refurbish itself, even if it looks a bit scruffy after you finish cutting it back. Uh, and there's plenty of time for it to reshoot now and still flower for you next year. So uh, I wouldn't even hesitate to go out and do it this weekend. I shall do that. All right. Okay. Thank you very much. That's Bye. A pleasure. Bye. Right. Uh, moving on, we have uh, Michael in Forest Hill. Good morning, Michael. Oh, g'day. G'day. Look, I, I am aware of the fact that this is, this is a gardening show, um, uh, you know, but, but I just just wanted to talk about the um, the overdevelopment sort of issue. Sure. Uh, yeah. Look, um, I, 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 uh, I really think. Um, just go and have a look at Shipley Street in in, uh, in Box Hill, um, and you'll see this incredibly deep hole in the ground um, where something it, 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 there's an enormous development going to go on there. 
Um, I think there's something um, rotten in the state of Denmark in, in, within a lot of these city councils. Um, you know, um, this, this is getting to the point of, 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 of absurdity, really. Um, I, I, you know, I, I just think... Um, I agree, uh, I agree. We're just losing, we're losing... Um, uh, we're losing sight yeah. of, of, of what's livable. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, yeah, we've been voted... Australia is not necessarily the way we want to go if it's no. going to completely ruin the lifestyle of those of us who live exactly. here. Exactly. Absolutely, absolutely, yes. yeah. We, yeah. Really have to, we really have to take three steps back and, and look at what we mm. want to be li- living with in our... In, own environment and what is quality of life? Absolutely, and and, and, and you know, environmental sort of uh, as you were saying, like uh, green space and all that sort of thing. Um, you know, we, we we were lucky to last three years. I think we we had fairly cool, um, reasonable, uh, cool summers. Mm. Uh, but uh, I think you know we're in for a lot of lot of heat in in, in, the, in the future sort of thing. That's so. right, and we have to take that into account. We, yeah. we will have to live with the consequences of this overdevelopment. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. So um, I'll I'll I'll, um, I'll see you up there at the Macedon, Stephen. I'll, I'll, <laughs> all right, we'll catch I'll, up in due yeah. course. Yeah. <laughs> Good on you, Michael. All, all, all the best. Okay, Thank you. bye-bye. bye bye. Bye. Right, uh, we're going to uh, Liz in Mount Macedon. Good morning, Liz. Good morning. Good morning. And um, I feel really guilty because I can ask Stephen my questions. Yes, you um, could call into the nursery and ask the questions. I de- definitely could. And in the light of the last um, conversation, um, I think that's so important. And I heard on 3CR the name of a book called The Game of Mates. can't remember the name of the author off the top of my head, but it mm. ties up this notion of over de- overdevelopment yes. and uh, rent-seeking. Yes. They, they are the terms. Everyone needs to get on board with rent-seeking. Absolutely. Um, and um, I was going to talk, ask you about my rhododendrons, which all seem to be dying. I'm on the top of Mount Macedon. Yeah. Um, um, and I'm really struggling. I don't know. They've been planted into a rockery. Mm-hmm. Um, the rocket, it's big. It'd be um, uh, 20 metres yeah. big. And um, and I've lost a few species. I'm losing one uh, each year. I'm, I'm Not the species, but the, the varieties. Yeah. I'm, I'm losing one each year. Um, and uh, it's, I'm sort of, I mean, I don't know what to do. All right, look, um, I can't over the phone be sure what the issue is, Liz. So I think you need to probably call in and see me at the nursery with uh, right. perhaps a specimen of something that is on its way out yeah. uh, so that we can sort of assess and see what's going on. Because all things being equal, and I know where you live, uh, rhododendron should be almost indestructible up there. Yeah. So there should be no real reason why they shouldn't there be There has really, to be an issue. Yeah, there's got to be some sort of issue going on. So I think we probably need to look at this in depth, and it's getting rather late in the day to do that on 3CR, seeing as we've got about two minutes to go. But bring me in a specimen, and we'll see where we go from there. I just presumed it was climate change and the ground right? No, no, look, no, there's not still plenty of good rhododendrons up around your area at Mount Macedon mm. growing perfectly well, so I think there's an issue in your garden. Okay, good. I want to know it. Thank right. you very much, Stephen, and see goodbye, you and thank you for your program. Okay, bye. bye. Right, we've got very, very quick time to go to Phil in Sunbury. Good morning, Phil. Can yes, you be good quick? morning, everyone. I have uh, big clumps of dioides. When do I split them up? As soon as the weather's broken. Right. So, you know, wait until you get a bit of rain, uh, and then you should be able to lift and divide them if you wish to do so. Oh, terrific. All right, thank you very much for that. Easy peasy. Okay, great. <laughs> good right. on you. Bye.
Well, as we mentioned, we have run out of time. Yes, it's sort of gone again. It suddenly went. (laughs) Yes, it did. Uh, So, um, yes, everybody should be out in their gardens today dealing with whatever they have to deal with in the autumn because now is the time to do all your cleaning up and getting ready for the winter. Yes. Um, uh, It's so much better to do it when the weather's fine than to have to get out there when it does actually break and you're working your way through wet foliage trying to deal with things. Mm. So, yeah, today would be a good day to do some cleaning up or to go out and see somebody else's beautiful garden. Absolutely. And just a reminder, Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show is starting this coming Wednesday, running Mm. right through until the Sunday. Um, Many of us will be out there, so uh, if you do pop out, do say hello if uh, you see any of the 3CR presenters out there. We must say a a huge thank you to Jan and Liz, who've been working the phones for us this morning. And, of course, as usual, you've been listening to the 3CR Gardening Show, and we will be back next Sunday at 7.30. So, till then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.